Philo community, welcome to episode 105 of our Philo podcast. We're here to help you become more effective so that our churches can become more effective. And if you're new to the whole Philo thing, we do this through our conference, our cohorts, and our book, I Love Jesus, But I Hate Christmas. And as October winds down, hopefully you're getting yourself and your teams into a good place to tackle Christmas. And I feel like I say this a lot here, but now is the time to figure out how to survive the run-up to Christmas. So make plans now, be intentional now. I've been reflecting on my own life about how easy it is to just let life happen to me. And instead of being intentional with how I want to spend my time, I'm letting other important things, but they're taking up my time. And I'm not necessarily doing the most important things to accomplish the goals that I want to have for myself. And making time for vacations or hobbies or tackling a really big project, none of these will happen without being intentional with the time that's in front of us. And as you approach the Christmas season, I would encourage you to do the same. And for me, I'm going to report back on the next podcast on whether I've made any positive changes in this area of my life. All right, so on our podcast today, we're just gonna get right to it. I got to sit down with Justin Firesheets and we talked about all kinds of stuff that matters to us as technical artists in the local church. We went all over the map, but all great stuff. So let's just dive right into it. Justin Firesheets. How's it going, Justin? Man, it's great, Todd. It's always a pleasure. I, uh, I'm glad we could hang out, man. <laughs> yeah, that's I right. Know, I mean, we, we don't get to see each other in person a lot, so this is this is second best. It's like the next best thing, yeah. Next best thing, yes. Yeah, and it's good to see you as well. Thank you. I, I've been told I have the face for radio, so I'm glad you enjoy seeing <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and um, uh, I think, uh, not I think, but you've been on the podcast a couple times before, and so... Yeah, I'm actually, I'm still waiting on the royalty checks from the first ones, so oh, got this it. may be my last appearance. I mean, <laughs> okay. if, if I don't start seeing some, I'm, I'm not gonna, I mean, my time's valuable, Tom. Okay, <laughs> I hear that. There, There's quite a community here, and so, I mean, surely we can get some kind of a GoFundMe going, come on. Sure, right, yeah, checks in the mail. <laughs> I'm glad uh, we got started on the right foot today. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I think uh, we've established that we know each other quite well and uh, that we go a bit way back. So I don't know that we need to kind of rehash our the history of our relationship, although that could be an entertaining podcast in itself. It, it very well could be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe for those people who don't know you, why don't you tell us a little bit, like, what do you do now? How did you get there? Where are you? Who's your favorite baseball team? All the, yeah, all there the we important go. So, stuff. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big Braves fan. Okay. Best part of the fall is the overlap between college football season and baseball playoffs. And I am loving where we're at, except for the fact it's in Alabama, it's still 117 degrees oh on gosh. most days. And so it needs to feel a little bit more like fall. I'd be okay with that. Yeah, okay. But I am at Church of the Highlands based in Birmingham, Alabama. So we've got 24 campuses, Good I believe. Night. Been on staff for almost 15 years. Wow. Uh, February of 2009 is when I started. Okay. And the first 12 years on staff, I was the production director. And then the last two and a half years, I've been in a technology project manager role, doing a lot with network infrastructure, construction projects. Uh, I do a lot with Highlands College, our ministry school, helping them out with various technology things. But the good news is I still get to stay connected to the broader church production community, which is great. And I've always loved being part of everything Philo related or you know, other meetups or, you know, networking events or it, pretty much anything else. I'm all about it. You know, yeah. this was when I got started so long ago, there were, if any resources were out there, I'm really not even sure what they were other than Google and YouTube. Right. And so I was scared to death trying to figure out because I had no idea what I was doing. 
And I really had to, I'm naturally very introverted. So I had to force myself to be <laughs> the outgoing meet people, build relationships guy. Cause I knew that that was going to be the only way that I was ever going to survive in this was just meeting other people that I could ask questions yeah, yeah. of. And that really began a, a lengthy journey that continues to this day of just trying to meet as many people as I can. And I had a lot of people that were very supportive of me when I started. So I figure anything I can do to be supportive of others and, and pass along knowledge and share things with them, it's just a way of kind of reciprocating and giving back into an sure. industry that is going to continue long after you and I are gone. And so anything I figured that, that I have learned that can help other people avoid those mistakes, that's going to be a win. Yeah, nice. Thinking about 2009, how many campuses were there at Church of the Highlands in 2009? Yeah, so there were four when okay. I started. We had a broadcast campus. We had one other campus in Birmingham mm -hmm. and then campuses in Auburn and Tuscaloosa. And oh, really? uh, the, the Tuscaloosa one was maybe only six or eight months old at that time. It was okay. relatively new. And my first day officially on staff was anniversary Sunday. So oh, big perfect. deal. Yeah, right. And, you know, no pressure, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Real small service. <laughs> yeah, it, it ended up being the first non-Christmas, non-Easter Sunday that we ever cracked 10,000 people oh, in wow. attendance system-wide. Okay. And I'm running the thing, and people are looking at me like, what do we do? There's a problem. And I'm like, heck, if I know, I don't even know your name, dude. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. And, man, it was just, you know, gut bombs week after week of trying to figure out if something breaks, what do I do? You know, yeah, in the yeah. first several weeks, there there were some things that went wrong and I'm having to figure it out. I sweated a lot, uh, you know, yeah. that first month. Well, you month live in Alabama anyway, so. That, that's true, yes. Yeah. Even in February, I'm sweating, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, six and a half months later, we launched another campus here in town. We had, wow. I think, like four to five weeks of notice on that one. And I'm like, I don't know how to launch a campus. So yeah. Tried to go through paperwork and figure out what we had done when we launched the campus in Tuscaloosa X number of months before. And I'm like, well, I'll just try to replicate some of this stuff and trying to figure some things out. It was it was kind of murky there for a while, but we made it by the grace of God, you know. And again, there, there were some great people in the tech community that I leaned on that are still friends to this day. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm very grateful for the fact that I had other people that I could connect with, you know, that, yeah, yeah. that helped through some of that and people I could call that were willing to give me the time, you know, that had been doing this longer than I had. And even though, you know, at the time hitting the the 10,000 weekly attendance threshold, I really wasn't cognizant of that at the time, really, you know, like the size was, and scale yeah. of what we were doing. But so many people that I learned from were at churches that were smaller than we were. Yeah. And I've always made a point to emphasize that that church attendance doesn't necessarily indicate how smart somebody is that's there, you know, like yeah, yeah. I can learn from somebody at a church, a fraction of our size. And honestly, there are times I could probably learn more from smaller churches because there are a lot of smaller churches that have to make things work with less resources and they have to be more creative on how they do things. And there's a lot of really awesome workflows that you can glean from people that have been forced to be more efficient that don't have the benefit of oh, this thing is acting wonky. Let me just go buy another one, you know, because right, we right. have the margin to do that. It's like, hey, this thing is acting wonky, but how can I, you know, duct tape, gaff tape this thing together to figure <laughs> it out and find this, you know, cheaper option on Amazon or eBay or whatever. Like there's a lot you can learn from people like that. And so I have loved 
over the years getting to find out what smaller churches are doing, you know, churches of a thousand or, you know, 2000 or 500, like, how are you guys navigating this? There's a lot of great lessons there. Yeah. And I think anybody can learn from anybody at any church. And I hope that our community is open-minded about that. You don't always have to look for people that are bigger than you or have more campuses than you. Um, maybe there's somebody else that, that you can find a good lesson from. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I love to think about is just that I don't love, you know, lack of resources or constraints around, like we don't have enough money to do X and Y and Z, but there's something about just like, okay, this is what we have. How can we think differently about how to do this? And I think Absolutely. constraints are such a useful tool to have and to embrace. Just yeah. because you don't have enough money to do plan A, plan C is probably going to be better. Yeah. And honestly, constraints sometimes are what opens the door for creativity. Yeah, yeah. Like if I have unlimited resources, it doesn't take a lot of creativity to just buy the thing that does more stuff. Yeah, yeah. But maybe if I'm constrained with my budget or constrained with my volunteer staff or there are some other limits that we're dealing with, it forces me to rethink about the tools that we're using and is there a different way to do it? Is there a better way? Sometimes having boundaries honestly makes us more effective yep. in solving problems because For it's sure. not an unlimited free-for-all. It's like, okay, here are these parameters. I have to work around this, this, and this. How can I do that most effectively? And sometimes that's really where our creativity can thrive. For sure. Because it's like it's like a mind puzzle. It's like a like a brain teaser challenge of okay, I'm I've got these variables I've got to work around. How can I solve this problem? Yeah. And that honestly, you know, there are so many times that that church tech artists feel that, well, I'm not creative. You right. know, I'm not uh, editing the video, I'm not doing the graphic design or the artwork or the photography. I'm not creative. And that's garbage, honestly, yeah. because creativity is nothing more than problem solving. Yeah. And I, as a technician, have to come up with creative ways to solve problems. I've only got 20 minutes to figure out how to overcome the fact that our router died. Well, that takes that I'm creative when I'm coming up with a solution to that problem. Yeah. You know, we've got limited infrastructure, but we have to get a feed to an overflow room or the power went out and we still have to have a PA available for the audience. I have to be creative as I solve those problems. I'm not yeah. doing it maybe artistically. Sure. Yeah. You know, with with graphic design or in Photoshop or, or whatever else, but I'm still being creative in how I solve that problem. And so I might be a technician, but I'm still creative. Yeah, I'm just no expressing it differently than somebody in another industry at my church. Yeah. And I would say, too, I guess how I think about it, that there is an artistry to what we all do. You know, the, uh, how we solve problems is an art, you know, each of them is an art form in themselves. And, you know, okay, maybe it's not a painting or I'm not doing a dance. Although maybe that could be interesting, uh, you know, me problem solving while dancing. But... <laughs> Yeah, I, I just think how we solve problems is a form of art that, you know, we're designed uniquely to create ourselves. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. think about the fact, you know, we're all, we're created in God's image and God created. Therefore, I have that ability inherently as part of me also. Yeah. Yeah. There is an ability to create within me. There is an ability to problem solve within me. It's already there. It was there before I was formed. And now I get to take 
that which was already given to me and apply it to my practical scenario here. You know, and in a lot of cases, man, you think about think about some of the miracles that Jesus did. The the tools that led to the miracle were already present. Like mm. there was dirt on the ground that he turned into mud to put on the guy's eye and and he was able to see. There was already water there that was turned into wine. There was already fish and loaves that were turned into, you know, a, a feast for the for the thousands of people. And so what made the difference was when the people actually touched it and did a thing like he he made the the miracle was inherently there the ability to solve the problem was there but that power wasn't activated until people responded and did the thing like mm. the guy had to go to the pool and wash his eyes the the attendants at the wedding had to pour the water for it to turn into wine the disciples had to break the bread in order for it to multiply yeah. I'm convinced that a lot of times in our ministries, the mm -hmm. ability to solve the problem is already there. I just may have to see it differently or I may have to do something differently in order to unleash the power of that miracle. So sometimes we're praying, man, if only I had more people, if only I had more gear, if only I had a different scenario. And sometimes I wonder, well, how much of the ability to solve the problem is already present but for whatever reason, I'm not able to see it or activate it. Mm. You know, maybe sometimes that's the problem. Maybe I don't need to pray for more of something. Maybe I need to pray for the ability to see what I have differently. Yeah. So that I can see the solution to my problem. Yeah. That's good so, stuff. No, I was just going to say, I feel like there's enough there regarding the idea of creativity in a church technical role. I mean, mm -hmm. it's there's almost enough content that somebody could turn that into a book. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> good idea. <laughs> we'll write it I mean, down. There, as there like really, in the, there's, there's enough stuff there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. In early in my life as a tech person, you know, I go to a Willow Creek conference and just be inspired for five seconds and then depressed for the rest of the time because, like, I never could do this yeah. at my church. And I remember driving home from there one time, just saying, "Okay, I'm never going to have this this amount of stuff, this team, whatever at my church." But there's got to be something to be learned here. And it was kind of this idea of like, I have resources in front of me. I have a brain. There are people on my team that are talented. What can we do with what we have in front of us? And yeah, just to start thinking differently about, yeah, how we go about solving problems with, we have constraints. Okay, let's acknowledge them and let's move forward with doing what we can or using it differently, but not doing nothing because, well, we don't have this, so just it can't be done. Right. And I think for, for me, that's that's at the root of what excellence in my mind really is. I think mm. that can be an overused and misused word sometimes because yeah, it doesn't yeah. mean that things are perfect. It doesn't mean that things are at a certain level of budget or staffing. In my mind, excellence is I'm doing the best I can with the resources I have at my disposal. Yeah. I'm looking at, at what I have saying, you know, what can I do with this and how can I make it better? Yeah. And at the heart of excellence then is stewardship. I have been given and blessed with a certain amount or certain level of resources, whether that's budget or gear or people or even my own time and ability. And so how am I stewarding what I have? You know, I can look at my gear and say, well, the gear's not getting any better, so I've stewarded as best I can. But have I stewarded my time effectively 
to learn as much as possible about that gear or yeah. about the industry or about how other people are using it to figure out how I can turn that into something different. Yeah. So it's not just, can I maximize the gear, but can I maximize what I bring to the table? Am I using my time as wisely as I can? Yeah. Am I using my, my free time and my creative energy and my brainstorming ability? Am I using those things well so that I have the margin to try to help solve some of these problems? Because sometimes that, you know, I can unlock some new ideas there. Oh, yeah, that's something I can do. But if all I'm doing is just running frantically from thing to thing to thing, and I never have time for my mind to rest and 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 even give it the ability to be creative mm -hmm. and, and approach a problem and try to solve a problem. I'm not really stewarding myself well because I'm not really allowing myself the margin then to explore alternatives. You yeah. know, I don't know if, if any of that kind of makes sense how I'm, I'm explaining that, but you know, I've got 24 hours in a day. How am I using them? Yeah, yeah. And am I using some of them? It doesn't, maybe it doesn't have to happen daily, but on a weekly basis or a monthly basis, whatever, am I setting aside time to just think and brainstorm and try to troubleshoot and problem solve and dream and what if and how can we do this? And let me research uh, search this. And let me call somebody. Yeah. You know, let me read something. Let me watch a video. Am I setting time aside to get better at what I'm doing so that I can make sure that I'm as good of a steward as possible yeah, yeah. for what I've got in front of me? I think the thing that I really struggled with on that note was that I never really considered my time as a resource to be managed. You know, if I look at the gear I had or the budget that I had, those were obvious to me. Uh, or the size of my team or whatever, but I never put my own time into that equation. Like how much time do I actually have to give to this? And so I would generally just say, it doesn't matter. I'm going to spend all of it to accomplish whatever the thing is. I think if, for me, I noticed that because I did it all the time, you know, I, eventually I'm just so worn out running, as you were pointing out, running from thing to thing or being able to say, this is not the best use of our resources for me to be up all night doing this you know, this thing that somebody asked for, it takes time to learn something new or to research something and to, to give yourself permission to do it instead of I can only run from thing to thing to thing. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. I, th I think time management is one of the areas where most people or many people in the church tech arts role probably struggle. You know, we feel the pressure to perform and do so many things. I've got stuff to do. I've got a to-do list and tasks, and there's events that are never going to stop, and Sunday is always coming, and then I've got a family, and I've got to sleep at some point. You know, so I'm always cheating something, right? I'm always yeah. deciding where to cut corners, and we end up letting our schedules drive us instead of us being able to kind of take control of where we're spending our time. You know, yeah. I think it's hard sometimes to establish boundaries. I think it's hard sometimes to feel like we have the ability to approach our leaders and ask for clarity with mm. what our priorities should be. Sometimes sure. maybe there's an intimidation factor there or, oh, if I have to ask for help, then that's a sign of weakness. So we can yeah. feel insecure about that. Well, 
Uh, or maybe some of it's like a hero complex. We love being the go-to and we love being the one that gets to solve all the problems and do all the things. And yeah. look, it all revolves around me and I did all this, you know, because it feeds this personal value or this this adrenaline rush. Or we love the thrill of staying up late or getting up early and talking about how many, you know, monster drinks we pounded that day. And it's like a bread <laughs> badge of courage yeah. kind of a thing, right? Yeah. And none of it is healthy and none of it's yeah. productive. And if our goal is to be a long-term influence both in ministry and at home and be healthy in both of them, mm -hmm. then we have to be able to step back and look at, okay, where's my time going? And am I using it as wisely as I can? That's a question yeah. all of us should be asking on a regular basis, you know, not just yeah. when I'm at work, but when I'm at home, like how much of my home time is spent on work-related things. Oh, I'll just work on it after the kids are in bed. Sure, right. But maybe after the kids are in bed is time that I should be in bed or I should be doing yeah. something with my spouse or I should be- right. Have a hobby or something. a hobby, yeah, you know, yeah. like, uh, yeah. So there, there's probably room to grow for, for many yeah. of us in that area. I think too, kind of circling back to something that you mentioned earlier, just the idea of constraints. And this is a constraint, like we only have so much time in the day and maybe only so much of that time should be devoted to work and home and all those things that we all have constraints in our lives. And I believe that if we lean into them, we have the ability to think differently think creative about how to still get stuff done regardless of, of the constraints of, in our lives. Sure. And, and you know, I heard a, a saying uh, within the last few weeks, I don't remember where I heard it. And at some point this is going to go full circle and I'm going to repeat it to the person that told it to me. Sure. And right. Like I was the one that told you that. Why are you doing <laughs> yeah. But essentially it's the idea that, that we're all juggling balls in life. Yeah. And some of those balls are plastic and they will bounce if they get dropped. Sure, yeah, yeah. Some of them are glass, and yep. if they get dropped, they will shatter. Mm -hmm. And the wisdom is being able to look at our lives and being able to, to determine which one of these are plastic. I can afford to let them drop today yep. because they're going to bounce back and I can pick them up tomorrow yep. versus which ones are glass. And if I drop this one, it's going to shatter and I'm not going to get it back. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so there's, there's wisdom and discernment and being able to look at every, every area of life to say, do I really have to do this today? Or can this wait till tomorrow? Or can this wait till next week? Or can somebody else do this? Or does it really even have to be done at all? Right, Is yeah. this a ball that I can drop and it can bounce back right. and I can pick it up days or weeks down the road and it's going to be okay? And sometimes I think we put this pressure like that it's all glass and I have to do it all now, Yep. you know? And I don't know if that's the case sometimes. Yeah, I think we do that to ourselves a lot and there are things that can yeah. totally be dropped that we just need the permission to drop. And the problem for me was I never asked for permission. So I just assumed, like you said, every one of these is glass. I, I have to keep holding on to this one. And if I just had talked to my boss or my boss's boss or whatever, they're like, no, that one doesn't matter at all. And, you know, it's eating up significant hours in the day that maybe I could be using to take care of the balls that actually do matter. Ryan Leak is a author and a speaker. And I think I just read his book, Leveling Up, it's called. And he told that same story that that analogy of the balls that will bounce back and those that will shatter and just learning the difference. I'd recommend the book. You know, and you talk about getting permission to let certain things drop. I think what we overlook sometimes is there are areas where we have to give ourselves permission mm. to let certain things drop because yeah. we tend up being, we tend to be our own worst critics sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so we put this weight on ourselves. Like I have to be perfect. I have to get it all done. I have to be seen as competent. You know, I can't let anything linger. 
you know, I've got to get, you know, things completed or finished or whatever, you know, so I, I end up putting, you know, you talked about getting clarity from leadership, which is great because yeah. I can assume that something is important and maybe it's not. But there are other times that I put weight on myself to For perform sure. or do certain things or I see problems that I'm the only one that sees. Right. Or I'm the one that says we have to be able to take this from 92% to 99% and I spend hours on something that very few people other than myself are ever going to notice. Yeah. Sometimes I have to give myself permission, which is painful to do sometimes. For sure. To let go and say, you know what? It's going to be okay. It's good enough. <laughs> Not like the goal is mediocrity. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But like this is at a level that very few people are going to notice if it goes the extra couple percent. And is that incremental increase really worth the time? Or is there something else I can be doing with my time more efficiently? Yeah. I'm going to give myself permission to stop at 92% and say, that's okay. Yeah. It doesn't have to be perfect all the time. This is okay. I yeah. can move on to something else and I can release myself from that burden. Yeah. You know? Yep, for sure. I just finished doing a couple of events and at the end of them, talking to the crew afterwards, everybody was pointing out the things that didn't go well and, you know, that we could have done better. And I just kept telling everybody, like, I don't think anybody in the audience knew the difference. And so, mm -hmm. okay, yeah, we could get better and we could do that better. But yeah, at the end of the day, did it distract from what, what we were trying to accomplish? No. So yeah, let yourself off the hook. I just, I think, yeah. like you said, we, we beat ourselves up too much. Yeah, you know, and that's one of the dangers sometimes. So I think there's value in revisiting or reviewing or rehashing services totally. or events or things just to kind of debrief and talk about what can get better. Yeah. But there's always stuff that can get better. And yeah. I think sometimes it's so easy to nitpick the teeny tiny little things when we're doing that post-mortem and we focus on this long list of, oh, that could have been better, that could have been better. Yeah, there's always going to be stuff that could be better. Right. We're human. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But let's not focus on the, like you said, the things that nobody notices. Let's focus on the things that if they become a pattern, it's going to be destructive. Right. You right. know, yeah. let's learn from it and move on. But let's not let's not chain ourselves to the past so much that we're always looking backward, wondering why we can't be perfect. Well, we're yeah. never going to be perfect never, at something. Let's never. just accept that and be able to move on. You know? Yeah. 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 So I got a question, just thinking about your time at Church of the Highlands from 2009 till now, I can imagine that things are very different now than they were 15 years ago or what, however long ago that was. Lots of changes, lots of like not only organizational change, but even just weekly change. I don't know much about Church of the Highlands, but I do know that for an organization that's got a lot going on, they're not just coming up with a plan and executing it. They're, you know, oh, this isn't working, we're going to change it. Or, you know, always kind of trying to move the pieces around on a weekly basis, let alone on a on an annual basis. Obviously, for you to still be there means that you figured out how to kind of work with change. Have there been a few things, like just thinking about organizational change, that you think about, like, this is how I've dealt with it, and this is why I'm still, you know, standing upright? Yeah, it, I mean, I'll say, you know, we have experienced a, a lot of change, you know, just as we've grown. And I mean, a couple things, like when I started here in 2009, you know, we didn't have 
indoor plumbing or electricity in Alabama, <laughs> uh, you know, and now fortunately we have uh, some of those things, which is great. Um, it's really enabled us to do a lot more. We're thankful uh, for yeah. that opportunity. Uh, and you're wearing shoes now, so that's like well, I, I, uh, yeah. you, you have no idea if I am. I mean, you're only <laughs> true, yeah. you know, the bust up, right? So anyway, yeah. So our senior pastor, I think, has done a great job in leading with the idea that you marry the vision, but you date the process. Okay. You know, like there's a vision that we are always committed to, but how we achieve that vision may need to change based on the seasons that the church is in, based on what's happening contextually in society, based on, you know, technology changes and so yeah. forth, right? So uh, the idea that what got us here won't get us there. Yeah. I think where a lot of ministries struggle is they marry the process and they date the vision. Mm. So over time, it's less about results and it's more about this is the way we've always done it. Therefore, this is the way we need to keep doing it. And right, so right. because it, as people, we are creatures of habit and I become accustomed to doing the same thing over and over again. It becomes predictable. It becomes comfortable. Comfortable for sure. And we like comfort. Yeah. You know, we don't like disease and being unsettled and thrown about and change it. You know, we, we can get really unsettled with that. And so it becomes easier to settle into this pattern of familiarity, predictability, of comfort. And then, you know, we look around and we see that we've gotten so far offline the vision and we've achieved no results because we've put more energy into maintaining the process. And we are not re-examining the process to see if it's actually getting the results that align with the vision. Yeah. So as technicians, and I'm speaking stereotypically here, sure. not everybody is like this, but I am one of those people that having routine and rhythm can be a good thing. You know, sure. I, I like doing the same thing at times. Like there's comfort there. And many of us in our industry fall in love with that predictable rhythm. I use the same brand of equipment. I do things the same way. I train people the same way. I communicate the same way. We run services the same way. We don't like change. And some of that can be fueled by insecurity where, you know, I'm too old to learn something new. So if we change the process, are they going to still value me if I'm not the only one that knows how to do this? Or if I can't do this, am I still going to have a seat here at this organization? Am I going to yeah. be able to learn the new way to do this? What if they find somebody younger and newer and I can't adapt? You know, so remember, fear is always manifested in control. And I think for those of us as technicians that our, our identity is so attached to our role, we can be afraid of change because it may mean the role or the responsibilities change. And if that changes and I can't adapt to the change, then who am I? Yeah, yeah. Because I have become this role. And now I'm afraid of change and I try to hold on to things and grab them and pull them tight. And I'm afraid to let go and I refuse to let go because letting go means the fear of losing who I am as a person. So I want to control as many variables as possible because if I can't, then I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. And there's so much danger in that. And I, it takes so much humility to be able to look at what's going on in asking ourselves, is this working the way it used to? 
but there's value in proactively being willing to explore change instead of people coming to me saying we have to change or else, Yeah, yeah. you know? If I can be somebody that can model change or can model being open-minded, then I continue to show I have value to the organization because I'm willing to explore new things and new ways to do it. Yeah. And that's why personal growth is such a big deal. I have to be in touch with what the industry is doing and new technology that's on the horizon. I need to be talking to the manufacturers and the integrators about what are they doing and what's being installed at other places. You know, are there videos I can watch and cut sheets that I can read? Can you send me things that I can demo and play with? We may never use it here, but being educated on what's happening in the industry is going to help me make better decisions. Yeah. That's why having relationships are so important. I can learn from what people down the road are doing and how their ministry is adapting so that I can be thinking through what does that potentially look like here? Yeah. And for me, one of the biggest things beyond all that was I had to make sure I was surrounding myself with people who thought differently than I did. Right. Okay. And that's difficult sometimes, especially as I was getting older and I was continually hiring younger people because they're seeing it differently. They're new, they're fresh set of eyes. And so they haven't been here five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 years. And so they don't know why we've done it that way. Yeah. But they're asking, why are we still doing that that way? Yeah. Is there a different way to do it? And I have to be able to take a step back and say, why are we doing it like this? Yeah. Let's examine that. Are we getting the certain results that we need or do we need to look at doing it differently? And I've got to be willing to embrace the perspectives that other people bring to the table. Yeah, I think for me, the thing that is so interesting about change, whether it's organizational change or just like, hey, we got to do this thing on the weekend a little bit differently. As a tech person, I spend so much time trying to avoid mistakes because that's really the only time I get attention is when mistakes are happening. Yeah. And so if you're telling me we're going to change something that I don't know how to do, there's a chance I'm going to not do it right, which is a mistake. That's part of why I really like the routine and the process and those things not changing because I figured out how to do this. And since I figured out how to do it, it means the likelihood of making a mistake goes down. Uh, the minute you change it, now suddenly I'm on the hook for how do I make this perfect when I don't even really, I don't know what to expect from it. And I think that's a little bit back to like putting pressure on ourselves. Like, I don't know that anybody is asking for things to be perfect, but we we need different results. Therefore, we have to change what we're doing. And with that comes some level of risk. I think most reasonable leaders expect there to be risk involved with change. Right. And I don't need to be perfect right out of the gate. Yep. And I, I heard uh, a saying once that said, uh, blessed are the flexible for they will never be broken. Yeah. You know, we, we <laughs> have to be willing to bend. John Maxwell makes the point in one of his books, I don't know, uh, <laughs> that a rubber band does not have value unless it's being stretched. Huh, interesting. And I think over time, some of us are rubber bands that are comfortable just staying loose and flimsy and just kind of sitting there on the counter. And when we're not regularly being stretched, you know what happens to a rubber band when it has sat there and then years later you try to stretch it it snaps. Yeah, yeah. It has gotten dry. It has gotten dry. It has lost its elasticity and it's unable to actually be used and it has to be discarded. Yeah. And I actually, this is a kind of a funny story, but I was going through 
one of the drawers uh, in my bedroom and I found a couple of old pairs of uh, boxer shorts that had gotten pushed to the back of the drawer. Yeah. I don't know how long they had been sitting in there. <laughs> and I was like, I wonder if these will still fit me. And I grabbed the waistband and I, you know, pulled it out and it just went. Yeah. And all the rubber that had been it, that had been so pliant and flexible. Yeah. But because that stuff had sat for so long, it was dry and it just tore. Yeah. And it stayed at this shape and I just had to throw them away. <laughs> sure. You know? Yeah. yeah. I, I think sometimes that's how we as technicians can be. If I'm not regularly flexing myself and learning new things and stretching myself and trying something and being willing to not be perfect at everything all the time, we keep the same shape. And then at some point down the road, our leadership says, hey, we're going to have to do this thing where there's vision for a new campus or, oh, it's a pandemic. We've got to figure out how to <laughs> live stream or do this thing or, you know, we, whatever. And now I'm being expected to stretch after having not stretched and it happens and I break and I can't yeah. do it. And I've always said I never want to be the reason why the vision uh, is capped here. Like I feel that my growth curve has to be ahead of where our vision is. Interesting. So that as the ministry grows and the vision increases, it grows into the margin that I've already established. Yeah. Because if the vision surpasses my ability to maintain the vision, then I'm either playing catch up and I'm panicking or I'm going to get left behind because I'm no longer the best person to be in this seat on the bus. Right, right. That's why I have to constantly be exploring and trying new things and learning and asking mm. questions. That's why margin is so important. We talked yeah. about it earlier with time management. If I'm just running pedal to the metal all the time and I'm always overworked and I'm always busy, then that means I never have margin in my schedule to stop and take a break and look around me and look beyond the four walls of our organization and see what else is going on that I can learn, yeah, yeah. you know? yeah. And then that just means that over time, there's going to be a point that I just, I'm not going to be the right person to do this anymore because I'm yeah. not capable of of moving at that speed or scaling to whatever that next growth is. I think to use the rubber band analogy, the rubber band's always stretched out all the way. I think at a certain point, it will lose its elasticity too. You know, if it's, if it's constantly being forced to its maximum. Yep. And so, yeah, there's some balance of like, we need to have process and figure out processes. We can't just sit there and we can't just always be pushing the boundaries because uh, both things will catch up to us at some point. Right. You know, it, it's always a give and take. And some of this, you know, you alluded to it earlier, involves having a conversation with leadership. Yeah. Like if I am always being asked to go, 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 then I have to be able to have a conversation with my leaders and say, look, I am constantly being stretched and I feel like I'm doing everything I can just to be able to tread water and survive. Yeah. Like I can't, this is not a sustainable pace for me. You know, we're going to need more help or we're going to need more efficient equipment or we're going to need a better workflow of communicating things, you know, more in advance. So there's more advanced planning and it's not always so urgent. Something's going to have to change because my engine is redlining all the time mm. and I can't sustain this. Yeah. But I do think it's healthy for there to be seasons for where sure. we do rev the engine and we push because at some point we have to be able to push and see where our boundaries are and see what we're capable of. Like if we never stretch our rubber band, we don't really know 
what we're capable of doing and how far we can go. Yeah. You yeah. know, and a lot of times there's an exhilaration that comes from that. I got stretched. Wow, look at this thing that I was able to do or that we were able to be accomplish. This yeah. was amazing. This was incredible. Who knew that something like this was going to be an option? Well, we have to have moments like that from time to time to right. see where our limits can be and see what we can do. And there are going to be times that we pull so much, we feel some of the rubber start to break. And we go, oh, nope, no, 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 no. I'm at my point. This yeah, yeah. is too much, yeah. you know. But now we know. Yeah. I know yeah. where my limits are. Sure. But I need to be able to find those things. And it's good to have moments like that yeah. where I am getting pulled out of my comfort zone. For sure. As a leader of teams, how do, were you able to get that perspective down to the people that work for you, your volunteer teams? Like, cause I could imagine your teams have been full of people like the rest of us, which are process heavy and don't like, you know, change. And yet, yeah, but we're in an environment where it needs to be something that we do and embrace. And so like, how, how have you been able to kind of lead through some of those big moments? Well, I think the first one, which is pivotal, and it goes back to what I was talking about earlier, where people naturally can feel insecure sometimes when they're confronted with change, uh -huh. you know? And so it has to, in order to have a team that is capable of changing, I have to make sure that we are investing in those people as people first, mm. and we're showing our value for them is rooted in who they are as people people, not what skill they bring to the table or not what role they serve in. Because if my constant value is expressed because they're a great, you know, LD and you're great at lighting and you're great at lighting and you're great at lighting and that's all we ever interact about and it's only on Sundays and it's just about lighting and then I need them to become a pro presenter person for whatever reason. If I've never invested in them as a person and it's always been about what task they bring to the table, they're going to have trouble with that change. Yeah, yeah. You know, am I going to be as good of a per pro presenter person as I was as a lighting person? What happens if I'm not good enough for that? Are they going to kick me to the curb? Am I ever going to get to go back to this? Do I still have a place on this team? There are other people that have been doing it longer, you know, and so it, it just breeds this feeling of insecurity. So I have to make sure that my environment, whether I'm working with volunteers or staff that I'm leading, that we are, are building a relationship first environment that focuses on personal value, not professional value uh, as the first thing. Uh, the second thing, I have to be able to model a willingness to change. And that means I am open to feedback. I'm open to new ideas. I need to encourage the people around me to bring suggestions and feedback to the table. And I can't just be a Debbie Downer that's always saying no <laughs> to everything because yeah. I don't like the idea. I learned from our creative director here uh, years ago, people would bring him ideas and there were times that he'd be like, no, we're absolutely not. And he said, you know, I had to be able to ask myself, why am I pushing back so hard on this idea? Why am I so willing to say no? And I have to be able to explore that. And that's a personal journey I have to undertake. Again, I was talking earlier about humility. Mm -hmm. If I don't have humility as a leader, then I'm never going to be able to model, you know, willingness to change or flexibility. I'm, I'm not going to be able to do any of this. So I right. have to be able to step back and say, why am I saying no so adamantly to this particular idea or concept or person? You know, what is it about this that is so... Uh, frustrating for me that makes me want to put push back on it. And I've got to be willing to to then look at myself and change the things inside me that may be causing some of this, 
you know, bowing up or pushback or whatever. Sure, right. And I feel like it earned me a lot of street cred with my team when I would do surveys and I would ask for feedback and then I would actually do some of the things that were in that. Okay. And I would explain that to them. And I would say, hey, so-and-so had this idea. I think it's great. We're going to try it, mm-hmm. you know? But when we're trying things that are different, sometimes I don't have to paint the picture that it's going to be like this until Jesus comes back. Yeah. You know, I can always give myself an out and say, hey, we're going to try this for the next 90 days and just see what happens and then evaluate it. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're going to see how this goes. And for the people on the team that are really resistant to change and they're scared about stuff, this can bring comfort because it says, hey, there's not a guarantee it's going to go this way for forever. Right. Let's do it for a little bit. But I'm promising you that we're going to be able to talk about it again and evaluate it and share feelings and then make an informed decision about what to do next. Sometimes that eliminates a lot of the uncertainty that people feel because I'm showing that there's a potential off ramp from the interstate. You know, we're not here, you know, for a billion miles. There's an exit down the road. Right. And we're going to have the chance to talk about it and evaluate, do we want to stay on this road or do we want to get off to the side? Yeah, yeah. And I have to be able to tell people, I want your voice to be heard during this process. Hmm. Just because you have an opinion doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to heed that opinion. It doesn't mean I'm going to do what you want me to do, Mm -hmm. per se. Sure. But I am always going to be willing to listen and yeah. evaluate it. Sure. Going back to my earlier years, we were not necessarily at the phase of starting new campuses, but this could be a similar thing. Like, you know, you just get into the rhythm of, uh, in our particular instance, we decided we're going to do three services on Sunday morning. And so we're doing three services, we're cranking them out. And at a certain point, somebody's like, we're going to start doing Saturday services. And I can remember as a leader, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I don't want to come to church on Saturday. <laughs> but now I have a whole team of people that are like, why are we doing this? Taking a, maybe a, an unpopular decision from my perspective and putting a, not a spin, but how to, how to lead through something that's maybe not ideal for the team. You know, it's going to mean more work mm-hmm. for the team. In your experience, like how would you lead through those moments, you know, that maybe feel like harder for the team? Yeah. Yeah. And, and there are going to be times like that, right? That our yeah. leaders make a decision that maybe we wouldn't have made or we're not a huge fan of, or maybe we don't fully understand it. Something I had, to, I learned from one of my peers here a long time ago that she would communicate to her team is, you may not necessarily always understand all of the details. Mm-hmm. I just need you to trust that mm. I am seeing things that you're not seeing, and I just need you to trust me. And so I have had to kind of do that at times too with our leadership. Like I, I yeah. don't understand why we're making this, but I've got to trust the fact that they have considered things yeah, and that they're doing what they feel is in the best interest of the church because ultimately that weight is on them. Yeah, yeah. They've got more weight on their shoulders than I do, right? And so there's a part of this where we do kind of have to be, you know, kind of a good foot soldier, right? You know, I have to, I'm not going to use this as an opportunity to complain downward to my team. I'm never going to do that. Yeah, yeah. I'm never going to do or say things that could cause my team to look upon the spiritual leaders of the church in an unhealthy way or have an unhealthy opinion of them. I have to be a buffer that honors them, right? I think about what happened with Noah when he got drunk 
and one of his sons, you know, kind of mocked his nakedness and his foolishness, and the yeah. other two were willing to kind of back in and kind of cover over the the shame of the father, so to speak. And the one I don't, I never remember whether it was the Ham Sham or, or, or Japheth. I, I never remember which one, but one, whichever one it was, got cursed, right? Sure. And so I have to remind myself that there were times that I have to be willing to be the middleman buffer for the organization. Right. This is not when when there are things that have been inappropriate or illegal or like that. That's not what I'm talking about sure. here. I'm yeah. not talking about that. But if there's a ministry decision that may seem unpopular, a service or a change or whatever, I have to be willing to be the protector of the leadership, not one that is willing to expose their flaws and say, well, and, and make it an us versus them. Right, they right. don't understand. They don't care. They don't listen to us, blah, blah, blah. Right. But I have to be a safe place for my team to be able to, to vent to. Sure. Because yeah. they need to feel like their voice can be heard because they're never going to go along with it if they feel forced or if they feel like there's no outlet for them to share their feelings. Yeah. So I have to be a safe space for them to voice complaints and concerns so that I know best how to steward, nurture, lead them through this. And I can be sensitive to whatever they're going through. Because yeah. remember, if I'm building a team first environment, I have to be willing to listen to those concerns so that I can help protect them through this process. And I know how to lead them through this process. Yeah, yeah. And then I have to think, okay, if maybe I haven't been led the way I would have wanted to with communication or input or whatever, how can I then give the things to my team that I may feel like I'm not getting from the people above me. Like yeah, yeah. I can choose to break the chain and make sure my team in this case maybe has it better than the people that are leading me. Yeah. But ultimately, just like the Israelites in the promised land, they wanted to go back to the leeks and the onions in the desert. And it's like, wait a minute, guys, you remember that you were in slavery, right? Yeah. And you were making bricks with no straw and you were getting beaten in the sun all day. Like you remember that it wasn't just good food to eat. There were things that were not effective and was not a great situation. Right. Let's not focus backwards. Let's focus on the big picture vision of what the promised land is going to provide. Mm -hmm. I have to be able to do that for my team. Instead of letting them wallow in Egypt and talk about, well, it was better like this and we could have done this and we yeah. didn't have to blah, blah, <laughs> blah. I have to make sure that the vision in front of them is so appealing and enticing and attractive that they want to pursue it and they're willing to make sacrifices to pursue it because they understand what we're working for. Yeah. And that's where I need to make sure that I have clarity of vision from my leaders mm -hmm. so that I can then package and present that for my team in a way that they get excited about it and they want to jump on board with that change. Yeah, yeah. And so they're willing to be uncomfortable for a season because they know what the return is in the long run. Yeah. You know, just the idea of trust me, you know, if I can't explain everything, you know, just you should trust me. And I think that's something that really speaks to how are we leading when things aren't changing radically? And mm -hmm. how are we being led when things aren't changing radically? Like, is there a culture of trust that exists so that when change comes, that there's a foundation that exists for us to move forward and be solution oriented as opposed to suspicious and, you know, whatever the, 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 I don't really trust you. And now we're making a big change. Right. So, because if I'm always snapping at my team or being negative or whatever in just our regular flow, yeah. then what are they going to think about when things start changing and yeah. there's a greater risk of failure 
or there's less communication to share. Like the the issues are only going to be exacerbated at that point. They're only going to yeah, be emphasized yeah. and highlighted. They're only going to grow. Stress compounds what's already there. Yeah. Yep. And so if there were already cracks in the surface, my team is going to be afraid that those cracks are just going to continue to grow over time. You yeah. know, I heard it said once that people generally say no and push back at things when they feel like the people above them are not going to be supportive of them. Yeah. So I'm not going to want to change if I don't feel like the people above me are going to give me the grace and the mercy and the margin to learn through that change, yeah. you know? So if I have built a perfection-oriented culture where it has to be a certain way and it's high tension, high energy, high stress, then of course people are going to be resistant to anything new happening because it's only going to make the underlying tension become even bigger and become an even bigger thing. Yeah. But if they feel like I'm going to have their back if it doesn't go perfect or I'm working to cover for them or I'm going to, you know, support them in whatever way, they're going to be more willing to go through yeah. the uncertainty because they know that I'm going to be the buffer. I'm trying to set them up to succeed. Yeah. And if it doesn't succeed, I'm not going to throw them under the bus. I'm going to be willing to take the heat for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And honestly, the same it's the same for us. I can be willing sure. to push back at stuff if I feel like my leaders above me aren't going to be supportive of that process, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so if that's the case, if that's the emotional undercurrent, I have to be willing to talk through that and approach that with the people sure. above me Yeah. or else it's always going to be this us versus them tension and it's only going to get resolved, you know, probably with, 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 with somebody leaving the organization at that right, point. Right, you know? right. Yeah. Oh, there's so much good stuff for us around the, the idea of trust, trusting each other, trusting our leaders. So much of it comes down to that, you know, how to handle change, trust your people, be trustworthy. Yep. Uh, it's been really a great conversation. And I think I, I'll boil it all down to uh, what I learned was that Justin wears boxer shorts. That's the... At the end of the whole day, <laughs> or at least used to. I mean, love it. I, I'm, I'm glad that was your takeaway. I don't know that we could prove anything this moment, but that's my takeaway. Anyway, thanks for making time. It's always good seeing you and sharing, just talking about stuff that that really matters. And yeah, appreciate it. Always a pleasure, man. I love uh, being part of the Philo community. So I'm always here, man. Y'all hit me up. Let me awesome. Know. Thanks. Yeah, man. There is so much good stuff in our conversation that I had a difficult time writing it all down fast enough. Aside from the news that Justin wears, or at least used to wear boxers, there was a ton of quotable moments. Here's one. The ability to solve the problem is already there. We just can't see it yet. I mean, what a great attitude to have when problem solving and a great way of defining excellence. We're doing the best with what we have, what's right in front of us. Another quote was, marry the vision, date the process. I mean, hanging on to the vision and holding the process loosely. You know, what works today won't work tomorrow. This is the way we've always done it is not a viable solution. I just love that whole part of the conversation. The other one that was really great and something that I used to do quite a bit was let's try it. I mean, when talking about changing something, it's a great way to approach something. We're not talking about permanent change. We're just gonna try it and see what happens. And I feel like most people are open to change if it isn't automatically forever. 
you know, a lot of us are tied to how we've always done it. And so the just saying, let's try it once or twice and see what happens. is just a great way to break down kind of walls that people put up about change. And you never know, you might win someone over by them just experiencing it for themselves. The other one that Justin said was, trust me. And when he said this, it made me cringe a little, but the reality is that there needs to be a trust foundation regardless of if there is change happening or not. I mean, trust isn't blind, but it's something that we all have to work on all the time. So trusting our leaders and also trusting someone who is worthy of others' trust is so important. So thanks for making time to listen to our podcast today. It's really a privilege, seriously, to have you bring your attention here, that this is the way you're spending your time. And we want this to be as effective for you as possible. So if you have any ideas for future guests or topics for the podcast, please send them our way to philopodcast at philo.org. You can also send us a DM on Facebook or Instagram at philo community to offer those suggestions up there too. Also, following us is a great way to stay connected to what's coming up in the world to Philo. And one last thing, there's still a few days left to register for our final Philo cohort of 2023. And I know we're entering a very busy season in our lives, Christmas, but there's something really essential about having a place that you're known and understood to be in community with others who are in a similar season as you. And honestly, you know this, not many people understand how difficult the run up to Christmas can be for those of us who do production work in the local church, but the people who are involved in attending a Philo cohort and the people leading it, they do. That's what they do. They're just like you. And so doing a cohort now may be counterintuitive, but I've had some really great cohort experiences in November. So go check it out. There'll be a link in our bio for more information. All right. Thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure being with you. And until next time. Bye.